once you feel better, your body's a much better barometer to know, oh, this food's bothering me or this food's not. When people have a lot of symptoms, they don't know what food is bothering them. Are you struggling with bloating, gas, constipation, and fatigue, but don't know what's causing these problems? The Gut Health Reset Podcast with Dr. Anne-Marie Barter dives deep into the root causes behind these issues that start in the gut. This podcast will give you the knowledge you need to heal your gut and reset your health. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Gut Health Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Barter, and today we are talking about SIBO. And we're also talking about leaky gut and brush border enzymes and functional gut disorders and yeast overgrowth and the research. And in this episode, you're going to totally hear me geek out because I love talking about commensal bacteria, which is your good bacteria. And so this episode is not for the faint at heart, but it is an incredible episode if you really want to learn about the gut and what's going on and what's going on with those microbes so that you can figure out what's going on with your IBS and some of your functional gut disorders. We have a very special guest today here on the Gut Health Reset podcast, and he is a returning guest because his interview before was so incredible about histamine. And our returning guest is Dr. Norman Rubelard. He's a PhD, founder of the Digestive Health Institute, and is a gut expert, author, and a microbiologist. He's a creator of the Fast Track Diet, Fermentation Potential System, author of the Fast Track Digestion book series, and publisher of the Fast Track Diet mobile app. Dr. Norm received his PhD in microbiology from the University of Massachusetts, studying bacillus and other bacillus species. His postdoctoral training at Tufts University in Boston focused on antibiotic-resistant gene transfer, and he was the first to demonstrate the transfer of genes between anaerobic gut microbes. During his career in both pharma and biotech, Dr. Norm studied the mechanisms of antibiotic actions and the genetics of antibiotic resistance. His work contributed to the development and approval of a life-saving antibiotic, and he always recommended a cautious approach with antibiotics, balancing the benefits with the risks and the side effects. He also has worked with on a variety of other projects, including septic shock, viral illnesses, and other antibiotic, antiviral, and antibody-based therapies. Um, what, what do you feel like are some of the symptoms of SIBO, because I, I think that folks out there are like, you know, um, I have leaky gut, I have SIBO, I have this, I have that, you know. Um, so what are some of the symptoms of, of SIBO? Yeah, well, you know, good thing to keep in mind when you're thinking of symptoms uh, of these conditions and, and IBS and SIBO is, you know, what, what happens if you have too much of these gases? Because that's, I think that's a hint, because the symptoms are things like, um, bloating and belching, but also altered bowel habits. We talked about diarrhea, constipation, and mixed, right? And we talked about these gases, hydrogen stimulating more of a looser stool, methane potentially contributing to constipation. Hydrogen sulfide, I'm still on the fence a little bit about this because we talked about these papers and the microbes they looked at that some papers on constipation actually show these sulfate-reducing bacteria that produce hydrogen sulfide are actually going up. 
So why would that be unless, you know, the hydrogen sulfide was associated with constipation, but there's other studies, it's all very new right now, show that hydrogen sulfide is associated with, with diarrhea. So we still need to work that out, but hydrogen and methane, it's a little more clear, diarrhea, constipation. So you've got bloating, belching, um, pain, um, distension, literally of so much, you know, gas or stuff going on there that your, your, your waistline is expanding, um, altered bowel habits. Um, reflux, heartburn. Um, I would throw LPR in that category as a possibility too. Um, so many things. You can have um, poor um, digestion, malabsorption, kind of feeding that that cycle. So um, it could have an impact on on your nutrition. Um, and then there's more there's more serious um, possible outcomes. Uh, of unchecked SIBO. So it can, um, you know, leaky gut, we talked about that one. Uh, you can get anemic, you can get night blindness. There's more, there's more symptoms that are possible. So. Night blindness. I actually did not know that. Yeah. It's just because of the eating of the nutrients primarily that you can't absorb the nutrients or what's the you know, I'm reasoning? Not sure. I'm not sure in that case. Um, but there's a lot can go on because, and it's not just the SIBO itself. Oh, there's bacteria. There's too many bacteria there. It's other things that led to it. You know, um, do you have a situation where you have a problem with some something in your stomach and you have gastritis and maybe you have atrophic gastritis. Maybe you've lost the ability to produce stomach acid from these parietal cells. Maybe you've lost the ability of these parietal cells to produce enough intrinsic factor. And that intrinsic factor is required to get B12 into the bloodstream. And so you can have anemia. Um, yeah, the night blindness, I forget offhand. I have to kind of go back and look at why that is. <laughs> and with the treatments, you know, we'll, we'll start with maybe the SIBO treatments. Um, do you feel, you, you mentioned antibiotics initially, and I know, I think on the last podcast, we talked about herbs versus um versus antibiotics, but what treatments do you feel are pretty effective for SIBO? Yeah. Well, you know, I personally, um, I think people that work with patients or clients, they have their ideas, their preference. There are some people that immediately would start somebody on an elemental diet for a couple of weeks, because even though a standard elemental diet formulation, we talked about that before, has, has a lot of glucose in it, but glucose is so quickly transported out of the intestine that, uh, and it has completely digested proteins and fats, so it doesn't feed the bacteria. So that has a good chance of reducing these number, the number of bacteria in your small intestine um, and beyond that, but to maybe get your own body's immune system, uh, motility, stomach acid, bile, to help clear those bacteria, too many of these bacteria out of the small intestine. Some people would start with that. Uh, some people really believe that you just need to be on rifaximin immediately. And if you have a constipation predominant uh, uh, IBS or SIBO with, with EMO or IMO, some people pronounce it with the methanogens, that you need to be on rifaximin neomycin. Or if it's just IBSD or SIBO-D, you would just be on rifaximin. There's uh, that school of thought. Um, I personally think that those are somewhat dramatic approaches to, to first confront this. And I personally think that um, I think that some of the diets are not um, 
stringent enough uh, because there's a feeling out there that we're starving the microbiota. So there's a lot of people that really have this belief, oh my God, we need the carbs. We need the carbs. And even if they say, okay, well, put somebody on a, on a low FODMAP diet or a low fermentable carb diet for a week or two, quick, get them back on carbs because you need carbs. You don't need carbs. I mean, it's, it's a fact. They're not an essential nutrient. Do some people do better or enjoy life more or thrive on a, on a, on a diet with more carbs in it? Certainly. You know, and I have an organic garden right over there. I have my vegetables all summer, um, but it's an animal-based diet with a good number of, you know, lower starch vegetables. That's, that's the way I eat. That's kind of the, the, the direction I recommend people going. Less fermentable material. Put these microbes on a diet the same way you would yourself. Put the microbes on a diet. They prefer a lot of carbs, especially in the early part of the digestive tract. And if you want fewer of them, reduce the number of carbs. But some people even think a FODMAP diet is dangerous. But a FODMAP diet doesn't even limit fiber or resistant starch, right? And we've been talking about those. And I feel like it's important to, to limit all five types of carbohydrates that are most likely to be fermented, fructose, lactose, resistant starch, fiber, and sugar alcohols, with the exception of erythritol. It's a friendly one. Um, so my diet is a little more strict in that regard, because most of the other diets don't really do much about fiber and resistant starch. I'm not afraid of limiting those because I don't feel like carbs are essential. Um, there's, you know, talk to the carnivores. Um, you know, and there was a study for two guys that went on a, on just an all meat diet for a year. They seem fine. Is there enough research in the carnivore diet to recommend it to people? Maybe not, except in some situation where people are in dire straits, maybe try it for a little bit, um, and see what happens. But I, I do believe that's the first thing is to do three things. One is get people on a diet without so much fermentable material. And there's no, I don't think way around that if you have any of these bacterial overgrowths we, we've been talking about. Also, we talked about brush border enzymes. We didn't talk about pancreatic enzymes or salivary amylase, but there's a whole in this enzymes that your stomach produces, all of these enzymes. You need to make sure your digestion is working well to efficiently digest all three food groups, and not just carbs too, because when you try reducing carbs, you're going to increase proteins and fats. So everything's got to be working right. If it isn't, that gets to the next part. And that's kind of root cause analysis. What are the problems they're having with um, that might lead to being more susceptible to SIBO and particularly things that might be disrupting their digestion? You know, we talked about some of those studies now looking at brush border enzymes more closely. There's also studies and show that there's some, some people have uh, either pancreatitis or just pancreatic insufficiency. Uh, we talked about low stomach acid. So you've got to make sure your digestion is working well. And then there's also things that you can do behaviorally to improve your digestion. Chewing well, eating slowly. I'm, I'm a broken record on this stuff. Um, but I all of the stuff, when I work with people and I write these reports, it's all in there that um, here's the things you can do to load the dice in your favor. We might even go into overkill a little bit, but it's better to do that and to get you feeling better. Once you feel better, your body's a much better barometer to know, oh, this food's bothering me or this food's not. 
when people have a lot of symptoms, they don't know what food is bothering them. They'll tell you, oh, I can't eat green beans. You know, but if, they, if they're always having symptoms every day, how do they know what food's doing? It's almost impossible. This is Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Have you ever spent hours searching for the right supplements to heal your body? And when you finally found them, maybe you weren't sure it was a brand that you could trust or if the products were safe. After hearing about these issues time and time again, I decided to put together a complete store of supplements for healing and supporting your gut at dranmariebarter.com. There are supplements for constipation, thyroid health, gut health, energy, and so much more. There are bundles created for sleep support, pain support, histamine support, and the list just goes on and on. These supplements I use personally, or I've handpicked because they've worked time and time again on countless cases in the office. And on the website, you can see what ingredients we use to put your mind at ease. If you visit DrAnnMarieBarter.com and use the promo code podcast to get 10% off your next order. So what are you waiting for? Go visit DrAnnMarieBarter and get 10% off your supplement bundle. Ciao. And now back to our episode. You know, what's interesting, you bring up such a good point, and I just want to touch on this. You know, in running stool testing, you know, we hear about, you know, stomach acid insufficiency, you don't have enough hydrochloric acid to break down your foods. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a little bit more common knowledge, you know, especially when you run the testing and you're like, okay, yeah, I can see what's going on here. You have an H. pylori infection. That's what, you know, whatnot. But what I have seen more commonly than that is pancreatic insufficiency. Mm -hmm. So much more commonly then I have seen um, hydrochloric acid be lower, which is super interesting to me, you know, because that's the common knowledge has been it's, oh, it's this, it's this. And maybe everybody's taking digestive enzymes at this point, but it's pancreatic that I've seen a lot lower across yeah, the board. Interesting. So you're seeing people with depressed uh, elastase levels. Is that, very, is that very depressed. And in young yeah. people, which surprised me, uh, you know, 20 years old, um, even yeah. in very, very young kids, yeah. I'm seeing very yeah. depressed elastase levels. Mm. In, it, fascinating. Yeah, I do see that too. And I and I have to admit, thinking about it, that it is much more common than I expected to see more um, hypochlorhydria. Um, I don't see it as often. And I do see uh, last day's deficiencies as well. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, definitely pancreatic enzymes can be very, very helpful for some people. But of course, with all of these things, you wonder why too. Is it is it the pancreas or is it the common duct? The, the pancreas and the, and the gallbladder share a duct leading into the small intestine. And some people can have problems with that duct, either from bacteria inflaming it. If you have SIBO, if you have a GI infection, you can damage the, the, those ducts and, and bacteria and products, toxins can, can cause inflammation of those ducts. Um, where else do you see that problem? Cystic, kids with cystic fibrosis, terrible problem there because those ducts get plugged up with a lot of mucus, just like their lungs do. And so that's why kids with CF, that's why they develop these very potent prescription um, digestive enzymes, because kids with CF really need 
an excellent source of supplemental um, pancreatic enzymes, pan- pancreatin. Yeah. I could, I could talk to you all day. I feel like we could just go on and on, but um, I guess, um, so, you know, it sounds like I, I just want to kind of hit this home, you know, going back to SIBO, I get the question all the time and I just want to run it by you. Should I take pre and probiotics when I'm doing SIBO treatment? Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's an important question. I, I think the, uh, the results in the clinic are mixed. So um, there is one paper um, that showed um, a positive finding for SIBO-D or IBS-D um, with the um, uh, probiotic um, um, Bacillus clausii. So it's a soil-based probiotic, a very specific one. Um, the good news is it's well-studied. It's been around for a long, long time. It's pretty safe. And some of these bacillus strains, um, they're, they're one of those uh, from acutes um, bacteria. Um, but too much of them is bad. But some of them, some of these bacillus strains, you know, you've also got bacillus subtilis in, in natto. Um, these bacillus strains can make some of their own uh, antimicrobial proteins and things, bacteriostins and, and, and bacterial antibiotics that might help knock down some of the other bacteria. So this bacillus clausii has some pretty good data. And that's one study should be um, replicated. Um, Lactobacillus ruteri, uh, there's some data that shows that's good for um, people with an IBSC constipation phenotype. Um, people that, uh, you know, that that may take several days to go to the bathroom. They have this constipation and the, um, the uh, Ruteri improved it in the study by a couple of BMs a week, which in that situation was significant. Um, and they also showed a decrease in methane for that too. So I think that's one to look at. Um, I think all of these probiotic solutions, I really like to stick to things that are represented uh, somehow in the scientific literature um, I think if you were going to go with the crapshoot idea, you would you might stick with um, some lacto fermented foods because then you get a pretty broad mix of these lactic acid bacteria and some strep um, that are, that are, you know should be good for you. I mean, early settlers in the in the U.S. depended on fermented foods over the winter, so there's pretty good track record there. Um, I make my own lacto fermented pickles, but you can't really buy those in the store. But you can get Kimchi, live culture kimchi, <clears throat> live culture um, sauerkraut. So I think those are two good ones. Don't overdo it at first. Maybe a ta- tablespoon. If you've got symptoms, try a tablespoon first with with a meal, and then maybe work up a, a little bit from there. Um, yeah, you know the the probiotics. I think it's there's a couple of things going on here. First of all, there's most of if not all of the probiotics are basically bacteria that, yeah, they, they're associated with the gut, um, but they grow easy. They're aerobic. They can, you can get them to grow in culture. You can make a big vat. You can freeze dry them and put them in a capsule and sell them to people. That's the real reason. Um, a lot of them are bifidobacteria. And then you look at studies on the hides of the hunter-gatherer, modern-day hunter-gatherers. 
<clears throat> they don't have any bifidobacteria, but we think they're critical. <clears throat> they are critical for infants that are being breastfed or bottle fed. They're early microbes in the gut. They are important then. We tend to have more of them than other cultures because we consume more dairy. Um, but what you don't see in these probiotics are the strict anaerobes and, and the ones that are importantly associated with the, the form and function on the intestinal lining. Uh, so it gets back to that leaky gut and gut lining integrity. And also something we haven't talked about is the, the mucus that coats our whole digestive tract, but especially in small and, and large intestine, protects the gut lining. <clears throat> it's composed of 20 or so different mucin molecules, all with different functions. Some are antimicrobial. Uh, they, they also represent a food source for these microbes, but it's lock and key. You need the enzymes to unlock the sugars. And you get other things. And the mucus has uh, sulfated groups. It has amino groups. It's a complete uh, food source for these microbes, but you've got to unlock it. So Faecalibacterium prausnitzii, Archimensa mucinophila, some of these Bacteroidetes, you know, Bacteroides theta iota omicron. Some of these can unlock the sugars in these mucus and crossfeed the other ones. So it's really important. And those strains are pretty important. And so... Um, and they have different inflammatory roles. Bacteroides fragilis is another one. That's the one I used to work on as a postdoc years ago. Um, you can't get those as a probiotic. You can't say, hey, I did a stool test and my acumensum with cinephila is a little low. So is there a place on Amazon to buy this? No, there isn't. Fecalibacterium prausnitzia, can't get it. So um, we have a ways to go. I do think that there are going to be some useful probiotics um, in the future. But you can't, the probiotics won't help if we don't fix some of the other things. And the reason I know that is because um, fecal microbiota transplantation, a full complement of microbes from a healthy person. First, you do a colon cleanse. Sometimes they even use antibiotics and then you come back, you know, through either a, a lavage uh, that way or, or this way through the nasal tube lavage and you get new microbes from a healthy person. Fantastic for C. diff infections, over a 90% cure rate, um, very low side effect profile. There was one incident in Boston, a couple of people died, but that was a, a screening issue with the donor bank. That's been resolved now. But generally, very safe, very effective for C. diff for an infection. Poor track record so far for IBS. And in some studies, um, worse than the placebo. Yeah. I didn't know that. The placebo I... did better. Some, no. wow. a couple, I was just reading a couple of uh, Chinese studies. They seem to be having a little bit better luck. And then, of course, it gets your earlier question, right? You want to start to look at IBSD versus IBSC. And so there's been some progress and some benefit um, with C, with constipation. There's another case report where somebody took a fecal microbiota transplant from her brother as the donor, but he had methane and constipation, and she got it. So, yeah, you don't want, if you don't have constipation, you need to make sure your donor doesn't have high levels of methanogens um, or constipation. Just, you know, check that box. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, I, I just love talking to you. I could keep going all day long here. Um, but where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, they can find me um, 
us on digestivehealthinstitute.org. Um, and there's, uh, they can read that resistance starch article. They can read a four part article on my theories of what really causes acid reflux. Uh, I put it all out on that one. Um, they can, uh, we have a shop tab for the fast track digestion books. There's one on IBS. There's one on heartburn. The IBS is kind of the, I guess you would consider more of the SIBO book. But since I say, I'm saying reflux <clears throat> is caused by the same type of phenomenon, either one would, would work. Uh, the Fast Track Diet mobile app. <clears throat> so if you want to count these FP points, um, when you make your meals with that app and you just pull foods in, it's got 1,100 foods, you can choose them and you pick the serving size and it will calculate all these FP points. And then it will tell you if you're staying under your goal of 20 a day or whatever it is. So you can make your meals as a shopping list. Uh, there's all these food lists. You can look either on tables or search or voice, voice recognition. And then you can also... Um, stand back and look at a plot for a week or a month of your symptoms because you can enter all your symptoms into it too. And are they two or a 10 and it would track your symptoms versus these FP points. And you can just see if you're making progress, if they're trending in the right direction. So um, yeah, all that's on the website. And then the consultation tab is a way to just give us a call. And um, I, I typically will do uh, spend 20 minutes with somebody um, on the phone just to see what's up with them. And that's all free and just make a decision if there's something um, I feel I can help them with. I'll, I'll suggest that. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and just really appreciate your knowledge. And it's just been fun to, to kind of wrap about the new studies. I love hearing about the new studies. I geek out on that or any of the studies that you've read that I haven't. I love it. Yeah, so it's fun so for me. <laughs> awesome. Well, and thank you everybody out there for listening. Um, say hi, uh, let us know what you want to know, uh, hear more of, and so that we can get that for you. And um, we'll take care until the next time. Thank you for listening to the Gut Health Reset Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating and a review so more people can hear about the podcast. And hey, take a screenshot of this episode and tag Dr. Anne Marie on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Anne Marie Barter. And for more resources, just visit DrAnneMarieBarter.com.